Breathments Battle Scars by Onyx and Elm. Chapter 39. February 11th, 1999. She wakes up in a cold sweat at half past two in the morning. In her dream, she watched Pansy Parkinson sink back below the floor of the Wizengamot's chamber, caged and blank-faced, the words hereby sentenced to death echoing off the walls. But in life? No, sorry, that's just not good enough. She throws off the covers and leaves the dormitory behind, belting her robe around her as she takes the steps two at a time down to the dark, empty common room. With a swish of her wand, a fire springs to life behind the grate, and in it she tosses every note she's ever taken in preparation for the trials. All those histories and records she spent countless hours digging up. None of it worked. Not for Blaze, not for Adrian. Those family lineages and words of good faith meant less than nothing in that courtroom. They had no impact whatsoever on the Wizagamot's final verdicts. What mattered was only the cold, hard evidence, and something she's slowly realising means more than anything else. Intent. For Blaze and Adrian, it was their apparent lack thereof, their passiveness. The Wizagamot's belief that they had seemingly been pulled by the current into dark waters that their drive went no deeper than that. For Pansy, it's hardly that simple. Pansy was active. Like Draco, Pansy had been sent on missions. Unlike Draco, Pansy had completed them. Hermione's hands shake as she slams down a blank sheet of parchment. Quill poised above it, waiting for something. Anything. Some stroke of genius to prove that Pansy did what she did for good reason. She doesn't even need to prove it. She just needs to be able to argue it. She needs to... Miney? She jumps and the quill falls from her trembling hand. Harry stands at the foot of the dormitory stairs, glasses and hair askew, Marauder's map in hand. Sorry, um, he says, holding it up. Sometimes it helps me sleep to look at it. I saw you pacing and then you... Well, you sort of stopped and went very still and I got a little... I'm all right, Harry, she says quietly, looking at him, actually looking at him for what feels like the first time in a long while. He's thin, thinner even than he was leading up to the war, and he looks tired. And she wonders how exhausting it must be for him to put a smile on his face every day. Oh, yeah, right, all right. He turns, takes a few steps back up, some inner instinct warns her that, in some unspoken way, this is a last chance. I'm scared, she blurts, desperate. He goes still. The little clock above the mantel ticks endlessly. I'm... She swallows a lump in her throat. I'm scared, and I'm very alone. What feels like an eternity passes before he says anything. And all the while Hermione feels herself going red in the face, feels tears prickling at her eyes, because she knows she sounds weak and ridiculous and pathetic and... That's one of the things you've never been able to do, you know, Harry says, not turning around just yet. She slaps away the first tear that dares to escape, sniffing. What? She's fairly certain she doesn't want to know the answer. Ask for help. A muscle in her forehead twitches spasms. She stares at Harry's back until he does a little corner turn and meets her gaze with one eye. Another long silence. Then he quirks one brow and she realises he's waiting for her, 
giving her an opportunity, the last chance. He's, he's offering to help. And she realises, though it's a cannonball sinking into her gut, that he's right. She never asked, and never knew how. The clock ticks away 30 more seconds, and then Harry starts to turn back. Takes one more step up. Help, she whispers feebly. Clears her throat. Help me. Two more tears track long, wet streaks down her face. Please. Still, more silence. But then Harry turns fully to face her, and there's a ghost of a smile on his lips. Did she have any house elves? I don't know. Possibly. Probably. None that were treated well, I'm sure of it. They wouldn't speak on her behalf. Hermione is upside down at this point, literally. She's lying, flopped over the arm of the sofa. Manage of curls brushing the carpet. Staring at the ceiling. Desperately hoping to change the perspective might help her think more clearly. That, or she's hoping all the blood pooling in her skull will somehow knock an idea loose. Harry is bent over a pile of notes they've taken down over the past few hours. Early morning light slowly creeping through the diamond pane windows like a threat. They'd wasted time in the beginning, talking about the why of it. Necessary time, she supposes, because she needed Harry to understand. He deserves to understand. That's not to say she did a bang-up job of explaining herself. She's sort of awful. I know. And she used to make fun of your teeth. I know. And your hair. I know. I just... I see more to her, Harry. I'm... I'm logical, and I have to think about the circumstances. And when you think about the circumstances, you... You just... Well, she makes more sense. The world she grew up in. What about when you were staying at Slytherin? He sort of winced as he said it. Was she nice to you then? No. Harry opened his mouth. She beat him to the punch. But she let me stay. And that was the extent of it. After that, Harry let it go. Didn't ask any more questions with regard to the why, and instead the two of them shifted focus to the ever-exclusive how. Four long hours of trying to find some spin on Pansy Parkinson that could make her look redeemable. Four long hours of nothing. She's trying to hide how much she's panicking, which is possibly a third reason for lying upside down. Harry's eyes are bloodshot with exhaustion. Okay, okay. He stands up suddenly, voice a little louder than it's been. He claps his hands together. Okay, new plan. Can I see her journal again? Hermione throws out her arms sideways and slides the peach-coloured diary towards his feet, lets her head flop back again. Not only had Pansy seen fit to hex the words stupid fuckery into its cover, but she'd also taken the time to ward-guard its contents, so that whenever anyone opens it, they find only blank pages. Because it couldn't possibly be any more difficult to defend this girl. "'You won't be able to break them. I already tried.' she says, finally sitting up and enduring the head rush of a century. Harry lowers his wand and sighs. I understand wanting privacy, but this seems excessive. Hermione gathers a pillow into her arms and squishes her face into it. 
A bit, yeah, she mumbles into the fabric. Probably didn't want Theo to read it. Who? She drops the pillow and lays back against the armrest, massages her temples. Theo, Theo or not, he's in our year. No, I know who he is, Miney, I'm just... I mean, why him? Why does it matter if he sees it? Oh, um... She's put her foot in her mouth, she realises, swore never to tell anyone. Well, it's sort of private. Harry cocks his head at her, a very familiar look on his face, the same look he's always given her when he thinks she's being unreasonable or unrealistic. Hermione. Harry, I promised her. I really don't think she'll care at this point. It's not even important, it's just... Hermione, tell me. She heaves a great sigh and rubs circles into her eyes, a sharp prickle of guilt in her chest. He's right. She has to concede that he's right. Fine. Fine. It's just... She's in love with him. So that's probably why. She didn't want him to happen upon it, because I'm guessing she mentioned it more than once in her entries. You see? Useless. Miney, that's it! Harry exclaims. So suddenly and so loudly she almost falls off the sofa. Someone rolls over in bed above them, the dormitory floor creaking. Hermione looks at him like he's grown a second head. Don't you see? He waves the journal out in front of her. That's what you'll tell them, Hermione. That's how you'll spin it. He drops her triumphantly on the coffee table with a hollow smack. It's a love story. Harry, I don't thid or not with a Death Eater, yes? She hesitates, brows furrowed. Yes? Unmarked, but yes. And don't we do everything in our power to stay close to the ones we love? To protect them? Hermione sits up straight, lips parting. So that's it, then? He taps the cover of the journal once more, for good measure. Right on the word fuckery. Everything she did, she did for him. For love. If his words hadn't blown her eyes so wide, they would have made her laugh like something out of a truly terrible romance novel, but instead she's silent, speechless, until... Oh my God! she breathes. A genuine smile splits Harry's face. Oh my God! She leaps up from the sofa and takes his face in her hands, kissing him square on the nose. You are brilliant, Harry Potter! Well and truly brilliant! He dips into a mock bow, but stops short when she takes hold of his arm, eyes serious. The humour bleeds away. Will you come with me? she asks, squeezes. If it's not too much to ask. He puffs out a breath, and in the next instant he's dragging her head up against his chest, smelling warm and familiar, like Harry. You just have to ask, Miney. It's only when she pulls away and finds his shirt damp that she realises she's crying. Extremely disappointing. Unacceptable. CFJ founder responds to first trial outcomes. It's the headline being sold all across the ministry atrium this morning, but she doesn't take the time to read it. Her focus is sharp like a needlepoint, and everything else is background noise. Besides, today isn't her they're taking pictures of. It's her they're bombarding with questions, and bright flashes. It's Harry. A few paces behind her, in step with McGonagall, 
he holds a hand in front of his face to guard against the assault, repeatedly saying, Sorry, I have no comment, as they pass through as quickly as possible. McGonagall wastes no time in charming the lift doors to shut early as she slips inside, and the noise falls away as they sink down. Sorry, Harry, Hermione says, but he only shrugs. Accustomed to it after all these years. McGonagall excuses him from classes so he could accompany her, and she's grateful for it in more ways than one. The moral support is only part of it. She'll admit she feels a great deal more powerful walking into the courtroom with him at her side. It feels unstoppable, like she used to, when it was just the three of them against the world. Headmaster, Hermione says as they reach the doors. She nearly forgot. Would it be possible for you to request visitor access to the holding cells again? For this afternoon? The doors swing open. McGonagall makes a flustered noise, but squeezes her shoulder nonetheless. I'll see what I can do. Cameras flash. Purple robes swish. Kingsley calls everyone to order, just as he did the first day. And as Harry moves to sit amongst the spectators, several witches and wizards actively get up and move to be close to him. Hermione makes her way to the empty character witness box. Faith Burbage resumes her position at the podium, delivers an identical greeting, though if possible the angle of her jaw is even sharper today. No doubt she was disappointed, too, by Tuesday's outcome. Out of the corner of her eye, Hermione catches sight of Dawlish in the crowd, amongst some of his followers, and a rush of ice floods her veins. He must have felt the need to come after those initial verdicts, must have assumed his presence would somehow change something. Hermione squares her shoulders. It won't. She decides then and there that it won't. Bring in the accused, Burbage orders, and Hermione bites down on the inside of her cheek, watching Pansy rise up in the cage. Her dream comes back to her, playing on repeat inside her head. An endless loop. Pansy looks gaunt. That's the first thing she notices. Malnourished, her bird-like arms and cheekbones are even more pronounced. Somehow, though, she's managed to tie her hair up flawlessly. An elegant updo. Even on death's door, it appears Pansy will not be seen to look rumpled. Miss Parkinson, you have been charged as accomplice to Death Eater cause. Do you understand these charges? Pansy's nose scrunches, but she keeps her voice flat and steady. I do. Do you have anything you wish to declare before proceedings begin? She leans carefully against one of the spiked walls of the cage, lifting a hand to study her fingernails. Only that the living quarters you provide us are filthy and unmaintained. Murmurs scatter throughout the hall and Hermione grits her teeth, catches Pansy's eye and gives her head a faint shake. Don't make this any harder than it already is. Pansy seems surprised to see her. One of her thin, dark brows arches up into her hairline, but she gives nothing else away in her gaze before turning back to face Burbage. "'Is that all?' she drones from the podium. "'Yes,' says Pansy. "'Very well, let's begin.' The case the Wisgamot presents against her is aggressive, to put it lightly. Throughout the first few hours, Hermione isn't even called upon to speak because they're too busy shucking out incident after incident as evidence. Her name signed on a meeting ledger, her picture with Greyback and Dolohov, 
her words on the night of the battle. All the while, Pansy maintains a strict poker face, appearing almost bored, but Hermione can see the faintest tremble in her hands, gripping the bars. And then Burbage calls out, Is there anyone here who wishes to speak on behalf of the accused? And Hermione decides she has to be even more aggressive. She stands, like she did the last two times, except now her arms aren't overflowing with notes, and now she takes the liberty of stepping down and out of the witness box to stand on the courtroom floor beside Pansy. I do, she says, meeting Burbage's gaze and funnelling every ounce of strength she possesses into her voice. Miss Granger, is this going to become routine? drawls Burbage, eyes narrowing behind her spectacles. Until I have no one left to speak for, madam, yes, she replies. A heavy sigh from the podium. They both know there's nothing Burbage can do to stop her. It's perfectly legal to operate as a character witness for as many of the accusers she likes, provided she's met them all in person. Hermione double-checked this morning. Proceed, then, deadpans Burbage. Thank you, madam. She turns her back on her, moving in a slow circle to address the entirety of the Wisingamon. Ladies and gentlemen, I am not here to deny Miss Parkinson's participation in these crimes. A low hiss from the cage beside her. It's likely Pansy believes she's about to seal her fate rather than restore it. And Hermione is very aware of how much she's going to hate her after these next words. You have provided evidence of an impressive volume, and I am not going to dispute that. But I do think it's very important that you are aware of the reason why. Her reason. She feels Pansy's heavy gaze on the back of her neck, finds Harry's eyes in the crowd, fueled by his encouraging nod. Everything Miss Parkinson did, she did in the name of someone she loved, to protect them. Scattered gasps. Granger, she hears, a hard, flat warning from Pansy. You do well to remain silent, Miss Parkinson, barks Burbage. Pointedly avoiding Pansy's gaze, Hermione picks a spot on the far wall and speaks to it. Pansy Parkinson joined the Death Eaters because, in her eyes, it was the only way to ensure the safety of Theodore Knott, who she's been in love with for... A wave of gasp is drowned out by Pansy's rasped cry. I'm going to rip your hair out! She yanks at the bars like she's lunged at her in their absence, teeth barred, but Burbage flicks her wand and an electric shock scatters across the cage, knocking Pansy back with a sickening zap. She slumps against the other side of the cage, conscious but barely, tendrils of smoke rising off her skin. Hermione's mouth hangs slightly ajar. "'What proof do you have?' asks Burbage, voice bored as though the past ten seconds haven't happened. It takes Hermione a second to refocus, to meet her eyes. I... well... she gestures limply at Pansy's cage. I should think that's proof in and of itself. Then she turns in another circle, searching the many eyes for the Wizengamon, imploring, pleading. She's scared. Can't you see it? She's always been scared. For him. For herself. For what would happen to either of them if she didn't follow the Dark Lord's wishes? A resounding silence. She finds Harry again, and he gives another, firmer nod. Nothing she did was in her own self-interest, she adds, a last-ditch attempt to plant the seed of doubt. That's all she needs, 
just a prickle of doubt. Burbage leans back, a brow quirked, hums in thought. And if we were to give her veritaserum? That's illegal! Hermione snaps before she can stop herself. Not if she consents. This time the silence is deafening. Hermione's mouth forms soundless words, gaze flitting back and forth between Pansy and moving and the rest of the room. Well, prose Burbage, does she consent? She has to swallow all the saliva pulling in her mouth, and clasps her hands into fists to hide their shaking. Uh, a moment, please. Burbage gives an exaggerated sigh but waves her hand. Very well. Hermione rushes to the cage, casting a swift mafliato around them and reaching through to take Pansy's wrist, giving her a shake. Pansy? Pansy, are you listening? She rasps. Oh, Pansy is absolutely listening. Sharp, heavy eyes stare back at her behind lowered lids, completely at odds with her slumped posture. Faithless, mudblood bitch! She breathes, barely audible, and leaning back and letting her eyes fall shut. I don't care what you call me. She shakes her again, grips her harder, urgently. You and I both know it was the only way, and I know it's the truth, and at this point the Veritas Serum can only help your... You've just condemned me, she murmurs, eyes still closed. You know that, don't you? It feels like she just swallowed a rock. Pansy's lids crack slowly and she leans forward, voice venomous. You really think that's all they're going to ask me? Did you love the boy? Oh, sweet Pansy, were you heartsick? Was that it? Her lip curls up. No, stupid girl. They'll ask me who I've murdered. They'll ask me who I've tortured. What information I gave up. You just got me killed. Hermione digs her fingernails into her palms. Not if I ask the questions. The expression on Pansy's face doesn't budge. Listen to me. She shakes her again, worried a little more with each second that she might lash out and bite her of all things. That'll be your condition. You're allowed to consent with conditions. I know how to word the questions. Pansy's gaze flickers with something, but her jaw remains hard. Set. Pansy, trust me. Hermione lets go of her wrist and forces her fingers into Pansy's stiff hand, entangling them. I can see you, she says, only a desperate whisper now. Behind all of it, I can see you. I know you aren't this. She squeezes hard until she's sure it hurts. Trust me, I have your back. A scoff. No one ever has. I do. She yanks her hand. I have your back. Pansy's gaze is razor-sharp, but Hermione can see the faintest, trembling breath escape her chest. Trust me! She can feel Pansy's fingers shaking, can see what just might possibly, maybe, be the glistening of tears forming in her eyes. But she doesn't close them before Hermione can be sure and straightens up, and goes hard and stiff, the practised posture of a true pureblood. Okay. Hermione lets her spell fall and whips around, meeting Burbage's impatient gaze. We're ready. Miss Parkinson, do you consent? Pansy crossed her arms and glares at Burbage like she's picturing her burning alive. Granger asks the questions, she snaps. 
I consent if Granger asks the questions. Madam Burbage, you can't possibly allow... It's Dawlish from the crowd, but she cuts him off. Spectators will be silent. There's a long pause. Burbage's eyes twitch. She glares from her podium, but not at Pansy. At Hermione. Bring in the serum, she barks. She knows they've just won. Chapter 40 February 11th, 1999 When Pansy hears the word probation, her steel walls fall. Hermione watches her go slack against the side of the cage, all the fear she so resolutely refused to show now plain on her face, and then their eyes meet. And she feels as though she's seeing Pansy Parkinson for the first time, because the bloodshot eyes that stare back at Hermione regard her as an equal. For the first time, Hermione has a sense of what it must be like to know Pansy Parkinson, to stand on the inside of her ward in life. And her words from being suddenly ring true. She can see her. Pansy Parkinson is more than a cold, pretty face. As her cage starts to lower back into the holding cells, from which she'll soon be released, the silent members of the crowd begin to rustle for their things. Hermione's knees are stiff numb. Her face is blank. Luck. Pure luck. That's what this was. Had one wrong word come out of her mouth, one poorly phrased question, the atmosphere of the room would have been entirely different now. Faith Burbage deals her a withering look from the podium before disappearing behind it, no doubt to recollect herself from the next retrial. And as Harry appears at her side, walking Hermione from the room, still too stunned and speechless to feel relief, John Dawlish stares holes into her back. It will only get harder from here. Twenty minutes was all I could secure for you,' says McGonagall once they reach the atrium, handing Hermione another visitor badge. "'I'm sorry, Miss Granger.' And she suddenly remembers her day isn't over. She has to speak for Millicent Bulstrode. "'Thank you, Headmaster.' Hermione deadpans. Twenty minutes should be more than enough. She clips on the badge with clammy hands and steps into the lift. February 12th, 1999. The star-crossed lovers of a dark regime. How love forced Pansy Parkinson into you-know-who's midst. Skeeter's article is bursting with flowery, decidedly less than accurate details. Of Pansy wiping away glistening tracks of tragic tears and lamenting the consequences of brutal love. Of Hermione handing her handkerchiefs and urging the Wizagamont to find their humanity. A completely fabricated quote. They are, however, a few truths stitched into the mess. And when our golden girl inquired as to the nature of this relationship, Parkinson, slightly wistfully, described it as purely one-sided. Pausing here to remind my lovely readers once more that Miss Parkinson was under the influence of Veritaserina at this time. What do you think about when you think of Theodore not? Our war heroine pressed her, to which Parkinson replied, starry-eyed, Many things, his voice mostly. It's the most comforting sound I know, the only thing that calms me down, makes me feel safe. Did, you know who, our golden girl neglected to use this reader-friendly term, make you do things? Miss Parkinson could only nod. Bad things? asked Miss Granger. 
terrible things,' said Parkinson. "'And why did you do these things?' To which Parkinson replied, "'For Theo.' In her closing statement, the brightest witch of our age posed one final question to Miss Parkinson. "'What would you do for Theodore Not?' An audible gasp fanned out from across the courtroom. Several heartbroken cries of outrage, as Parkinson revealed, "'Anything.' For better or worse, the press had taken their side. There's only a small footnote regarding Millicent's trial. It had been quick and rather painless, especially when compared to the others. Millicent had broken down almost immediately and done most of Hermione's work for her, weeping, apologising, opting for the veritaserum, and then spending the next half hour drenching the courtroom in just how utterly useless she always felt. Ridiculed and ostracised until she was accepted by Voldemort and his followers, she just wanted to feel included. And lucky for Millicent, she'd never used an unforgivable. She was fined, not even a probation. But Hermione has a sinking feeling it's the best outcome she's going to see from here on out. Nothing is going to get easier. Today is Tracy Davis and Daphne Greengrass. Tracy's cell is somewhere along the middle of the corridor, but she's stopped before she can reach it. Granger? Her shoes scuff on the stone floor. Knott's bruises are slowly healing, but the majority of his face is still a mottled shade of purple. He's standing at the bars like he's been waiting for her, a copy of The Daily Prophet in one hand. How did you get that? she blurts without thinking. Surely there are more important questions to ask. Bribed the guard, he says plainly, but before she can ask what he could have possibly offered, he flattens the paper against the bars so that she can see the headline. The fuck is this? Today's paper, she deadpans. Knott's eyes tighten. Granger! He pulls it back and slams it against the bars again. What is this? She tries not to think about what Pansy would want her to say in this moment. Tries not to consider what she'll do to her if she doesn't. But Pansy's already back at Hogwarts. At Hogwarts with Blaze and Millicent and Adrian. The best place she could possibly be. Only now she's got a trace on her. Still, she's safe. She can forgive Hermione for this. The truth, she answers at last, doing her best to hold his gaze without faltering. She feels she intruded on something, a very private aspect of two private lives. Lives she has no business being involved in. Even when she's trying to save them. This isn't some typical skeeter shite. Not's eyes are more wide and desperate than she realised. This is what happened. For the most part, she hedges, blinking and dropping her eyes. Without all the tears and the handkerchiefs. There's a loud bang. Her eyes fly back up. Not has yanked on his bars so hard he's activated their protective wards. He staggers backwards, stung by the resulting jinx the daily prophet floating to the floor at his feet. Bleeding fucking hell, he hisses, pacing a small line back and forth. I'm sorry you found out this way, is all Hermione can manage. She has no idea what's going through his head. Pansy didn't want anyone to know, but it was all we could do. His bruise, bracked greys, finds hers again, sharp and yet somehow soft all at once. She's a fool, he says in a quiet voice. Hermione can't help but step back. Something stings in her chest. She's not sure what, 
she's a fucking fool, he says again, huffing and shaking his head. How can you say that, she breathes, after everything she's done for you? For me? I didn't fucking ask her to. He's at the bars again, rattling them, teasing another stinging jinx out of the wards. He shakes his hands out as he yells, I never fucking asked! Who told her she had to kill for me? Almost die for me! No one told her, says Hermione. It's automatic. She did what she felt was right. There's a strained pause. When she manages to meet his eyes again, they're full of a very familiar rage. Rage she knows she's used to seeing in lighter, colder eyes. You'd know all about that, wouldn't you? That's what you think you're doing for him, isn't it? He juts his head down the hall, but she doesn't need to look. I'm trying to, she whispers. He whispers too, only his tone is deadly. No wonder he fucking hates you. Hermione blinks slowly, glances down again. She has to force herself to move to Tracy's cell. February 22nd, 1999. It's been hell on earth, but at least the howlers have stopped coming. Either the Ministry has finally stripped Malfoy of his rights to a quill and parchment, or he's finally exhausted himself. He has to be using wandless magic, after all. His wand is locked up in a Ministry vault. Whatever the reason, she's grateful. Today, of all days, that's not something she'll be able to handle. It's by design. She's sure of it. Furious at her dumb luck, her somehow baffling ability to keep each and every name on that list McGonagall's given her away from a Death Eater's kiss, the Ministry has saved their best for last. The two most difficult trials, scheduled back-to-back on the same day. Malfoy and not. The morning of, from the instant she opens her eyes, she feels sick to her stomach, like she's swallowed a leech that's slowly consuming her insides. She's somehow both more prepared than she's been for any of the other trials, and simultaneously significantly less all at once. Because she knows Malfoy, or at the very least she likes to think she does. She's got a good handful of useful information in her back pocket, but he's also refused to see her, flat out. His last howler was dated over a week ago. So they have no strategy, no plan, no understanding of how they're meant to spare his soul, him. The one with the most evidence mounted against him, by far the most hated. Hermione has also loved the challenge, but this is not a challenge, this is a rigged game. And add to that, Theo to follow, only an hour later. If she fails, she won't even be able to hold herself up, let alone defend another, almost equally hated boy from almost equally damning evidence. She's been set up to fail. Harry seems to know this as well, because when she exits her dormitory, compulsively flattening out her skirt, he hands her a flask. She tries to conjure an ounce of humour. Liquid luck. Her smile is painted on. Harry tucks his lips in, a sad, echoing smile as he shakes his head. Whiskey. Her nose wrinkles. Fire whiskey? No, the muggle kind. For your nerves. She doesn't need more encouragement than that. She downs what must be about two shots worth, hands it back, empty. 
thank you. And she marches out of Gryffindor. There's a rumour going around that tickets are actually being sold for today's trial. Malfoy's specifically. People are emptying their pockets to see Draco Malfoy earn a death sentence. And Hermione has to skirt off to the laboratory five minutes before the trial starts to vomit that preciously whiskey is coming right back up. Harry's eyebrows are at his hairline when she comes out, eyes questioning behind his glasses. All right? She wipes her mouth and pinches her cheeks to work colour into them. Fine. Just fine. But she's unprepared for the crowd in the courtroom. There's barely enough space for the actual members of the Wizengamar. Bulbs flash at every angle. Questions shouted from dozens of voices as she moves to take her usual, now all too familiar, place in the never empty character witness box. A glance to the side shows Harry taking a seat next to McGonagall, but her eyes catch two rows above them, on Blaze and Pansy, seated together. She didn't think they'd come. It's both an encouragement and an additional shot of nerves. Because while it's two more in the room not out to see her fail, it's also two more who might watch it happen. Hermione picks at her cuticles, hands folded in her lap, as the questions ricochet, every reporter in the room trying to get in one last juicy detail before Faith Burbage takes her place at the podium. And then it's so quiet, Hermione swears she can hear her own blood rushing through her veins. I see we have a full house today, says Burbage, eyes sliding to Hermione to deal her usual dose of cold disdain. Then they flip back to the crowd. I hope you're all aware I expect silence in my courtroom at all times. Murmur the scent. Let's make this quick and painless then. Bring in the accused. By now, Hermione's heard the way that cage rattles as it rises at least two dozen times, and yet it's likely hearing it for the first time. She thought she was prepared for the sight of him inside. But when that colourless, white, blonde hair catches the light of the courtroom, it's like an industrial-grade needle gets plunged through her stomach. She's not ready for this. What if she can't do this? She's... she's not. Mr Malfoy! barks Burbage, as though she's more than aware of the words carrying her weight. You stand accused as an accomplice and a weaponized agent of the Death Eater cause. Do you understand these charges? His face is wan, eyes wreathed in bruises, either brought on by exhaustion or violence. It's only been a week since she's last seen him, and yet so much has changed. More weight loss, more strength depleted, even less light in those grey eyes. But he stands up straight, rigid, emotionless. His already split, bloody lip seems to bleed fresh as he parts them to speak. Yes. His tone is clipped, and gives nothing away. Do you have anything you wish to declare before proceedings begin? Yes. He steps forward in his cage, and Hermione's breath hitches as she wraps his hands around the bars, says in a flat, perfectly serious tone, A thumb war. There's a long, confused, somewhat baffled silence. One, two, three, four, whispers a voice in Hermione's head. Burbage's face darkens, eyes tightening. I suppose you think that's funny. Oh, I think it's hilarious. Draco pulls his bloody lips back over his teeth, smiling up at her, face against the bars. 
one, two, three, four. He murmurs in a voice that's not left to lose. One, two, three, four. Burbage practically snarls. Let's begin. I declare a thumb war. Thank you.